we can't stay in deconstruction, which would just be pure chaos. Right. We have to piece it back together. We move from order to disorder to reorder, and that is the path. And so our lives start with a particular amount of order. Here's how here's, we're presented with the world and with some values right. and with mm-hmm. some uh, worldview and paradigms. And then we usually will begin to deconstruct those in adolescence. And oftentimes, tragically, much sooner if, if we have trauma in the home or mm-hmm. abuses yeah. going on and stuff like that. Uh, and so what I would offer is, one, deconstruction's good. I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, and there's some helpful tips with deconstruction. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, this week on the Living Center Podcast, we have another interview with one of our world-renowned guides, the therapists that curate and lead our in-person and online experiences here at OnSite. They include leading through our intensives and group workshops. Brett Campbell joined Lindsay and I for an incredible conversation about, well, the human experience. Curious by nature, Brett shares how deconstructing everything that he thought he knew made way for him to find his way back home to himself. He shares a little bit of his own story and then some of the ways that he leads clients through their own process of deconstruction, mind-body connection, and ultimately a reconnection with their hearts to rediscover the desires, passion, and longing that so many of us lose along the way. In addition to being an on-site guide, Brent provides both counseling and coaching services to individuals and couples using the latest trauma-informed therapeutic interventions blended with proven life coaching techniques. His background is in the music business, which he shares a little bit more about in the interview, and it gives him a unique perspective on so many mental health concerns. He has learned the value of harnessing your intuition and creativity in therapy, and basically his approach is designed to reconnect people with their true selves in order to restore clarity, meaning, and purpose to their lives. I know that after you listen to this episode, you're going to want to get more curious about your own story, lean in, and really start to question. So meet our friend, Brent. Well, Brent, we are so excited that you are here with us today. Um, I have been loving all these conversations that we have started to have with our guides because I feel like we're giving people a little glimpse into the magic that happens every week because we get to introduce them to the agents of healing that we introduce. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I would love to just kind of give people a little glimpse into who you are and maybe how you got to onsite or your mental health journey. Why does mental health matter to you? Well, I'm Brent and um, I never set out to be to go into the mental health field. It kind of found me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so kind of how I got into that was my first career was in the music business and uh, both playing as a drummer in bands uh, and then working in artist management. Okay. And so I'm from a small town in Ohio and that was uh, a dream of mine. You know, something about the entertainment business was um, very uh, appealing and compelling to me. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to Nashville uh, went to start going to Belmont University. Uh, they have a music business program that's quite famous now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just started learning that and started playing in bands. Um, I enjoyed that for a while. And in that journey, there's many variables in it. So I want to, every time I tell this story, try to fig- figure out the best way to make it into a nutshell. Yeah. But basically, as a, it was a combination of Dealing with an incredible amount of loneliness in high school mm-hmm. that bled into college. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, being raised with a, a particular faith, mm-hmm. I was raised as a Christian, uh, and um, I really took that seriously. Uh, and when I got to college, uh, right around that age, when I was kind of on my own, you know, it, it wasn't just college, but being yourself. on my own. Yeah, 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 exactly. Really started to notice a lot of kind of cracks in the foundation of it doesn't seem to be working mm-hmm. um, now that I'm here on my own. And uh, went through a, a bout of going through many disappointments, uh, as is very common in the, in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Uh, you have to have tough skin, and it's you know even today they call Nash- they still call Nashville a ten year town because it it takes about ten years for Ooh, most people if you're going to make it to to get in there, which most people don't know because we always hear those stories as did I yeah of you know yeah. people that just Taylor you know, Swift that's and it. people that uncle come was up in the so record fast. business yeah. that's it yeah. So disappointment after disappointment, working really hard. And I was dealing with a lot of immaturity as well, just kind of learning how to be an adult. Yeah. Uh, as well, being captivated. So in that time, I started to lose my faith. Yeah. Uh, and at that time, began to explore, became captivated by the world uh, and wanted to explore and wanted to taste everything. And um, there was like this enthusiasm and wonder of being young and in my 20s and you know, let's go out and explore. You know, we can be these starry-eyed dancers, and yeah. we would stay up late, and we would, um, you know, just try to squeeze the juice out of life. So t- romantic. Together. It was, it was, <laughs> but it was also naive. Yeah, um, definitely. And what it ended up happening with that is kind of the variables of the cracks in the foundation, dealing with some disappointment, starting to deal with some grief, um, mm-hmm. and starting to notice uh, basically I didn't call, I didn't know it at that time, but starting to notice what I now know are wounds, psychological and emotional wounds that I was, that I had, that I wasn't aware of. And I had slapped a bunch of coping skills on top of it. Um, exactly. And then once I got into the rock scene, um, Mm -hmm. when I was, you know, at the point I had kind of lifted the anchor with you know, my faith in Christianity, I was looking for a place to put my anchor down. And so there were a few years there where I was like, I'm not going to put my anchor down anywhere. I'm just going to explore everything. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I got really interested in uh, the esoteric and um, moved out to California chasing a gig at, in Los Angeles. I uh, mm-hmm. was playing drums out there, working at a recording studio out there. And it was my dream. This is it. We're going to, this is, it's all or nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so... Multiple bands, multiple disappointments, delving into transcendental meditation and other types of philosophies uh, that I find compelling and interesting. Uh, and then also in the rock scene, I became very captivated with the party. Yeah. Uh, and so at this, the first time I had alcohol, I was 21 uh, when I, for the first time I had alcohol. And it was like my whole body went, <sighs> and that was the beginning of um, exploration into the realm of mood and mind-altering substances. Yeah. Uh, and I was all for it at the time because this was the stuff I didn't get to see when I was a kid. This was the stuff that I was always... Real t- taboo. Yeah, I was always told, hey, this yeah. is wicked and evil and all that. But it was more... Um, Just exploration at Exploration, the curiosity. Advent- yeah. It was kind of an adventure in some ways. And then uh, also exploring kind of the esoteric realm. In a, mm. in what does a, that mean? So, or how um, would you define it? Yeah. yeah. So, what I would say is uh, the realm of the the metaphysical world, the the existential world. The best way I can describe it is there's a store. I don't know if it's there anymore, but it was on is a bookstore on Melrose Avenue in Ho- in Ho- West Hollywood, and it was called the Bodhi Tree. Mm. Uh, the Bodhi Tree is famously the tree that Buddha leaned against okay. uh, to meditate, and 
this bookstore had all kinds of books and information that was taboo for me growing up. So things like trans TM, transcendental meditation, uh, healing energies, mm-hmm. energy healing crystals. Um, even there were books even there on like aliens and interdimensional beings. It just got, w- you would just read it all. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. You're just like, so curious. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it was just to- totally curious. And so it was the combination for me of losing my heart it was my heart was a wreck at that time, uh, and I was coping in so many different ways and exploring, trying to transcend it, not in a grounded way, but in yeah. a, I think I can crack the code way, uh, mm. and I ended up cracking the code. I, I think <laughs> I broke my mind. Mm. Um, so the combination of the party drugs, also psychedelics, uh, and um, really kind of delving deep into the the meditation. Yeah, and I didn't really know what I was doing, and I was also not tending to my wounds. So that ended up kind of breaking my brain. I think I started having, by the time I was 26, started having panic attacks, night terrors. I would have um, very strange things would start happening, weird thoughts, kind of mm. paranoia started sinking in intrusive thoughts, um, things like... And you never had that growing Never up. had that growing it just, up. You, it, you really associate it with the exploration of this like other realm. I do... I do associate it with that. Basically, that was the that was the point for me where I was like, I can't go any further. Like, this is miserable yeah. for me. It just everything hurt all the yeah. time. And I re- didn't really know how to get out of that. So I left LA at that point uh, and came back to Nashville, mm-hmm. which I was more familiar with Nashville. And it's a smaller town and everything. And there was a, um, count, he's, he's, his name is George and he's a, he used to be a, a counselor for bands. And so mm-hmm. he was a counselor that met with one of my bands one time, uh, like bef- years before this. Uh, and I didn't know what to do. And so I just called him, I found his number and I called George and I said, Hey George, I don't know if you remember me, but I met you once, you worked with my bands and I'm totally lost. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally lost. It's really confusing and painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can you help? And met with him later that day. Mm. And so I met so with brave to make that call. Yeah. Oh I man. I don't know if it was brave. I think it was desperation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, um, George, I started meeting with him. His name's George Landolt. He's an incredible man. I started meeting with him. Um, he was so generous with his time. I started experiencing healing. Yeah. Um, started learning about, you know, the body mind connection and all that kind of stuff. And, and then basically, it found me. I realized I love this stuff. So all the exploration I had done before, though naively, it yeah. has, is all being redeemed now That's where really I can cool. explore these things with a little bit more wisdom and, and grace, hopefully. And so that's what led me to therapy. I just fell in love with it as soon as I tasted it, and, mm-hmm. and it works. And, um, and I love this stuff. So ever since then, uh, there was no looking back. It yeah. was, I applied, you know, within a few months of working with him, uh, I applied to... Uh, school to, to yeah. learn about it. How long ago was that? That was 2012. Okay. So I started school in 2013. Uh, yeah. So just yeah. about 10 years. What a cool journey. Several questions. The yeah. first that came to mind was you talked about loneliness in high school and college. And I think so many kids we're seeing today are really struggling. And I think a lot of times that can look like to the outside world, the people that feel lonely, their world looks lonely sometimes. And then sometimes it like looks really full and flourishing, mm-hmm. but they still have that feeling of loneliness. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like with loneliness as a mm-hmm. teenager? I had many friends. Yeah. I played sports. I uh, was in bands, involved in church, leader in a youth group. 
uh, supportive family, a very favorable childhood, mm -hmm. great family, love my family, love my childhood growing up. So I was surrounded by many people yeah, and many people who, who are good and loved and loved and cared for me, but the loneliness was inside of me. Mm. It, there's, have you ever been in a crowd and felt lonely? Yeah. yeah. And that's what it was. And, and that's actually what drives me in many ways today in my own exploration of like, what is this thing called consciousness and, and human life and existence? And why are we here? All we know truly is we woke up. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I opened my eyes in 1983 and here I am. Uh, everything else we have to kind of buy into somehow. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a leap of faith. And so I'm, I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. So what drives me now is the realm of the heart in regards to the degree I have is clinical mental health counseling. Everything in the degree, uh, everything in the curriculum is about the mind and the brain. Mm -hmm. I don't remember ever learning about body connection. Yeah. Um, and, I, and there was not one single mention of heart yeah. in, yeah. All, in two and a half years of school. Uh, and so back to the loneliness piece, uh, I have learned that there is a place inside of everyone where, where you're not alone. There is yeah. a place inside of me where I'm not alone. There's a presence there, uh, and that place is in my heart. Mm. And so I think it was a learning curve for me, maybe being a little bit more introverted. So mm. socially, it's, it's a bit more uncomfortable for me. Um, like small talk and things like that. Yeah. Uh, pre pretty much everything in high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it was a combination of that. And I hadn't learned yet how to truly dwell in my heart. It was all about the answers out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates with me. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so, I think a lot of us, even at our busiest or like most communal times just feel so lonely. Yeah. And it's like, how do we start to chip away at the ache that loneliness creates in us? And how do we start to like be more at peace with ourselves when it's just where we sort of can lean into solitude mm -hmm. and feeling a fullness and a richness, even when we're not in the proximity of others, but then have that also carry out into how we are with others mm -hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. How do, how do people begin that process? Yeah. I think the first and foremost, just recognizing yeah. that you have it. Yeah. Um, mm. Just being aware that that's a thing. Beyond that, I like what you said about solitude. And there is a difference I've learned between isolation and solitude. Isolation is the place where I'm alone, but I'm, I'm by myself, but mm -hmm. I'm dis and I'm also disconnected yeah. from myself. Mm -hmm. Solitude is the place where I'm by myself, but I'm connecting with myself. So I think that was a big learning curve for me. In regards to loneliness, I, I think it's just, I think it's helpful just to declare right up front that it's a universal in, yeah. the, in the human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Carl Jung, one of my favorite psychologists, said that that aloneness was the greatest wound of all mm -hmm. in the human condition. And I've, I can't remember who said this, um, but I read recently that if, you know, we, we do a lot of trauma work and we talk a lot about trauma. Yeah. And one of the things that we've learned in trauma, I might have actually learned this at OnSite mm -hmm. from one of the brilliant um, guides there. But if there's any piece of the trauma where you are alone, you weren't able to share yeah. the tear or whatever the thing is, then it cuts like 10 times deeper. Mm. And so it's a real thing. So I think the, the most helpful thing I could say is, hey, come on in. We're all, we're all kind of lonely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then for me, um, it's really just about 
the journey of exploring the the realm of consciousness. Mm. Because when we explore consciousness, in my experience, um, we find companionship in it somewhere. And it's very, I don't know, I don't understand what, what that is. I have beliefs about it, but I don't know what it is. Mm. But there's like an internal dialogue that we can have with ourselves. And what I've come to learn in learning about how to do therapy is parts work. It all leads to that, that we are actually re-engaging a new way to think, which is the original way to think, in my opinion, which is essentially a dialogue between various parts of our personality kind of gathering around a table, talking to each other. So that's what thinking is to me now. And when I think in that way, it involves my heart. And I also don't feel alone necessarily because I'm connecting with myself. When you're saying parts work, are you referring to like IFS, like internal family systems? Do you Mm -hmm. do that in your practice or are you just pulling pieces of that into your practice? Sometimes I'll do exclusively IFS stuff, usually if a client requests it. Yeah. Because I'm not like an IFS nut. Yeah. But I will often draw from the parts work Mm -hmm. that IFS has made famous um, inside the the realm of therapy. We do a lot of, at onset, we do a lot of psychodrama, which is essentially parts work Mm -hmm. um, with imagination and mental projection. So you're you're experiencing your parts, but you're actually, it's not all in your mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so this dialogue that can happen between the the various parts of ourselves, I think once we realize that that's a thing and that's a good thing, it totally alleviates a lot of the the pressure often and the, the aloneness often we can feel in our mind. And I was just thinking about the paradox between like separation within yourself, but feeling more connected through that. I think that's a paradox that is really interesting, even just hearing you describe mm-hmm. it of like, okay, there are these different parts of myself that are needing me to tend to them, needing mm-hmm. for me to come alongside them and listen to them or connect or like, you know, the ones raising the flag of saying, hey, pay attention over here and how the farther I lean into that and find those distinctions and the separation, the more connected I feel. Mm-hmm. And that to me feels like a paradox. Yeah. Yeah. So. It is a paradox. Yeah. Anytime we're dealing with truth and it's the truth that sets us free, mm. we're going to come right up to paradox every time. And it doesn't matter which, which way we explore it. It happens all the time. It happens in quantum mechanics. It happens in philosophy. It happens in psychology. Um, it happens in spirituality, paradox, this thing with like the serpent that ends up biting its own tail. It is a paradox. And so with the part stuff, I, be, I personally believe because I can remember. Mm-hmm. So I'm not making a declaration. I am not an expert on this stuff. I'm just yeah. learning. Yeah. Now, I love it. I'm a fan, I guess. But I can remember being young. Mm-hmm. And I, that's one of the greatest gifts um, in my life. And I think probably one of the things that helped me get back to, to, to me mm-hmm. uh, was I have very distinct memories of being young. Yeah, And I, uh, I was blessed to have a very favorable childhood in that I had a loving family and I was well supported. So I, I was really able to, to, to be me back mm-hmm. then. And with that, I remember having imaginary friends. Mm. And when I was learning about parts work, I was like, hey, this is kind of the same thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are, am I just learning my, the original way to think? Mm. Children naturally project parts of themselves into the room and then interact with them. Little girls have tea parties. Little boys play with their action figures. Sometimes they'll have a stuffed animal or something. And mm-hmm. what it, what they're doing, just think, I mean, it's fascinating to me. I, I, I'm making a an assumption. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if it's real or true, but I see that this is what children do. And it, mm-hmm. when you see children do it, it's so profoundly beautiful and healthy. Yeah. 
Um, and and at what point did that become unhealthy? That's it. Somewhere <laughs> along the line, uh, that changes for all of Someone us. Someone told us that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you remember that season. What were you like as a child? Who was Brent at like age six? So I actually have a really good answer to this because um, my mom, God bless her, uh, she, um, when I was, she did this for all of us. We, there mm-hmm. were four of us kids growing up. Yeah. Uh, my mom uh, was a stay-at-home mom. Um, that was her choice. And she, uh, she wrote a journal, a diary for each of us for the first 10 years of our lives. Wow. Every day? Not every day. Okay. Every few days. A couple huh. times a week, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm totally impressed. And I had no idea she did it. Yeah. Uh, it was just a few years ago um, that she gave it to me as a Christmas gift, a whole stack of these books. And oh they're old. Stack. Old books. From, yeah, stack. Old books from uh, like the 80s. And uh, I'm like, what's this? And, and it, it was the secret that she was keeping all this time. That's For the first so 10 years, beautiful. she committed herself to, to jotting down, hey, you did this, a silly thing today. Or, hey, you came home from school and you shared this story. And just like little pictures, little snapshots of my childhood mm-hmm. uh, that I got back in my life a few years ago. And so, of course, I devoured those um, because that's like the, that's like the secret sauce, you know, we're all trying to Who get back to the yeah. child. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, one of the first entries, um, when I was a baby was, uh, something like my sweet Brent, you are impish and shy. And I had to look up the word imp- impish, um, <laughs> basically, uh, kind of like whimsical and, and mm-hmm. somewhat of like a prankster. Mischievous. Mischievous. Yeah. I, had, yeah. I, I would make up games. Mischievous. That's the word I'm looking yeah. for. Um, but I was also real shy. So another entry, my mom came into the room and she saw, or, uh, the, the entry said, uh, that she walked into the family room because she heard me talking and I was back in the corner, like behind something behind the couch, talking to myself, but like giggling. Uh, and it was that picture right there Mm -hmm. is exactly what I'm talking about. There was this thing happening in my imagination, in my heart, in my mind, in my body that was so natural, so beautiful and so free. And for me, that's, I'm very, I'm very um, glad that I have that. Because I, I obviously did not remember any of that yeah. consciously. So I'm glad that I have that because that was such a, it was like an artifact that mm. could bring me back into even deeper layers of coming back to who I am. That's so cool. What a beautiful I love that she did that. Hey there, it's Candy from the Onsite Marketing Team here to invite you to do this whole New Year's resolution thing differently this year. This time of year, everywhere you look, the world is urging you to improve or to fix and find the new you. But we think that a new year doesn't have to mean finding a new you. Instead of searching for that elusive, better version of yourself, I want to invite you to join me on a journey of rediscovering who you've been all along. What if what you've been missing isn't somewhere out there? It's right here inside you. You just need to reconnect and find it again. So this January, we'll embark on a six-week journey through our best-selling online course, Rediscovering You. This course is going to equip you to truly connect with yourself and help you build toward the life you've always desired. We're kicking off January 17th all together, and I'll be joining you as a coach and companion. So join me and a community of like-minded individuals for a journey of self-rediscovery. See, this journey isn't about fixing you because you're not broken. This journey is about reconnecting, reclaiming, and rooting into the life you want to live. Only you can break the cycles that keep you stuck and journey forward with a renewed sense of clarity, purpose, and connection. 
The good news is you have everything you need already. Head on over to onsiteworkshops.com slash rediscovering you and use the code new year at the checkout for $200 off. You have a baby due in a couple of weeks. I do. You have a baby due any day. We're all just waiting here. This just may be waiting for the baby. one of the last interviews <laughs> that Lindsay and I do before she has a baby. But I, and I have a 15 month old, so I'm like, okay, do we just start doing that? Like what a gift to give your child for you to find your way back to yourself. Because mm-hmm. I do think that innocence and that purity we talk so much at onsite of that inner child work mm-hmm. really is who we were intended to be. And there are things in life that take us and steer us away from that. So mm-hmm. what a beautiful gift. Yeah. I love how curious you are mm-hmm. and obviously intelligent and like that you, the that you're an explorer, you yeah. know, and you want to like learn more about the world and different things. And you talked about the season where that was sort of ungrounded or naive and then sort of coming back to the, uh, with the same spirit of exploration and doing mm-hmm. it in a way that felt more grounded and healthier. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious because I know so many people that mm-hmm. are in a stage of exploration or they're, they're looking for something and they might be deconstructing their childhood mm-hmm. faith. They might be just in a season of curiosity, but how, how do people do that well? And what are sort of the mm-hmm. tenets That's of good. being more grounded in that exploration? Cause I, I also have friends where I, I see like the destructiveness of mm-hmm. some of their yeah. searching. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good God. I've lived it. I yeah. still carry the scars from that. And I'm very passionate about that now. Thank you for that question. It's a complicated and complex thing, but I believe with all with everything that I am that we all have a homing beacon inside of us mm. just by vir- virtue of being human. I've never met a human that doesn't have that. Now, you could make a case, I guess, once you get into some pathologies that um, some people are so wounded that they're, they're fragmented mm-hmm. uh, in this way. Um, but for most of us, I feel like we have this homing beacon, and I call that the heart. Yeah. And so... Truly, for me, that was the big revelation was I, I left my heart or I tried to use it for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, the heart being the, the space of enthusiasm and wonder and, and desire and longing and fear and despair and all that kind of stuff. Like th- these are heavy things uh, that we carry. And so usually by the time we start feeling the weight of that, we try to get out of there. Yeah. Um, and if we don't have a, a good thing to grab onto, then we end up just kind of tumbling down the mountain. And so that happened to me with what I would say to people in that position, because first thing I would say is I'm glad that you're thinking critically and I'm glad that you're deconstructing. That is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't stay in deconstruction, which would just be pure chaos. We have to put it, we have to piece it back together. That's good. And so moving from, and this, I didn't come up with this. I'm borrowing, borrowing this from, from somewhere I read it, but we move from order to disorder, to reorder. And that is the path. And so our lives start with a particular amount of order. Here's how here's, we're presented with the world and with some values right. and with mm-hmm. some uh, worldview and paradigms. Uh, and then we usually will begin to deconstruct those in adolescence. And oftentimes, tragically, much sooner if, if we have trauma in the home or mm-hmm. abuses yeah. going on and stuff like that. Uh, and so what I would offer is, um, one, you... De- deconstruction's good. I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, and there's some there's some helpful tips with deconstruction. Um, and it's a healthy part of development, deconstruction? Or no? Yeah. I'm just wondering. What part of development? I don't know. Like, I yeah. just, I think, like, normalizing it of, like, 
you should at some point deconstruct, like you're not doing something wrong. Because I think I sometimes carry that of like feeling guilty for questioning things. Well, it feels like the original order was sort of handed to us. Yeah. That it's not like, so I think that in some way, shape or form, you have to make it your own. That's right. Yes, that's good. And and so the deconstruction often is like the beginning in the process of questioning, like what Mm -hmm. was handed to you Mm -hmm. and saying like, is is this mine? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. Yes. With deconstruction, I would also say it's very, very risky. Yeah. Uh, which is why many uh, traditions try to keep people away from doing it because mm. uh, people can get lost. Uh, you can deconstruct, you can take the thing apart and that's it. And some people get really stuck there. And I certainly was for a long time. Yeah. What got me out was spirituality. Yeah. So I, I actually was able to restore my faith, um, of my, the faith that I was raised in. Uh, it looks a bit different than, than how I internalized it growing up, mm-hmm. but it's, it's bigger and wider and taller and more wise and it's stronger. And it's also um, more childlike, yeah. ironically. So spirituality was a big piece. I don't, and it, it doesn't matter to me where you go for spirituality. I believe that human beings are spiritual beings, um, period. So, you know, this, you kind of, when you dial into that energy or that curiosity or that intrigue, whatever it is for you and whatever your tradition is, uh, it's, there's something there. Yeah. And this, the second part of that I would say is pay attention when you're in deconstruction, pay attention to your conscience. Mm. Again, never met a human being. And again, some pathologies, um, people have a hard time with empathy and things like that, but I have never, uh, I've never met a human, uh, other than that, that, didn't have a conscience, whether or not they chose to acknowledge it, um, it was there. And so I think that's interesting. And I think that's very comforting to know that that's a thing. Yeah. At least, and this is all observation. I'm not making declarations. With your conscience, you're looking for like, does this feel right? That's right. Yeah. This is the body awareness piece. Yeah. So the body alarms uh, that we've learned about and OnSite does such a great job of, Mm -hmm. of teaching uh, that when we go against our conscience, Whatever that means. Yeah. There's just something that's against an internal structure, internal boundary, internal value, whatever yeah. it is. When we go against that, uh, it starts to affect our body. Our body essentially starts to break down. Yeah. Um, shame does this too. Yeah. And, and I don't think those two things are necessarily separated in some ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say pay attention to your conscience. You do have one. Uh, pay attention to it because it is guiding you. No matter where you come from, where you're born, what country you live in. Follow that, um, because when you go against your conscience, uh, everything becomes much more gnarly, mm. uh, and it's hard to get out of there. And so, whatever that is, when, even when you're in deconstruction, um, listen to your body in regards to: is your body saying? And I don't mean like physical pleasure necessarily, but is your body in, in that heart space, in the chest space, in your mind? Is it saying like? Yes. Is it like opening up like a flower, yeah. like a flower? Yeah. Uh, or is it closing up yeah. and getting real kind of clammed, cl- mm. clammed up? And I think that's an important thing to notice. And I think that's a journey in itself of, because I know in my own life, I have separated myself from my body and I've been on this journey to like reconnect to like we are one and listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because for a long time, I think out of pain and out of trauma and things I separated from it. And so I think that's a really part of beautiful part of the journey too, is like mm-hmm. coming home to yourself and oh, also yeah. coming home to your mind, spirit and body all together. That's it. So it's all yeah. about coming home. So good. Yeah. And so 
what are some of the ways that we can come home and like to our bodies? Because I think mm-hmm. if someone's feeling in this of like, okay, that sounds great. Pay attention to my body. I've forgotten to listen to it. I don't mm-hmm. know how to listen to it anymore. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Just pay attention. Mm. There's a thousand different ways you can do that. Yeah. Um, I think yoga is really good for many reasons. It's also like a mindfulness mm-hmm. uh, mentally as well. Um, it's also a spiritual practice. Yeah. Uh, Meditation is really good. Meditation is not easy. It's not comfortable, especially starting out. Yeah. Um, but meditation quickly exposes, it, it, that's the whole point. You're paying attention to, you know, you're taking time to slow down, to stop and pause and pay attention to where it hurts. Yeah. And so um, I think, you know, yoga, meditation, play, anything that gets you in your body, um, mm. exercise, kickball league, jujitsu, uh, dance, you know, again, these are all natural things in childhood. Mm-hmm. So Think about it in that way. Children are naturally feeding themselves these things, just naturally. When we become adults, often when we, you know, ego develops, we start to become self-conscious. We, we develop like a scarcity mindset and we have to fit in and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, that really destroys the unique spontaneous expression of the body found in childhood. So one thing that I did recent, uh, that I do on occasion, I did it recently is I'll climb trees. Mm. And so that's a body thing as much as it's a, a way to feel my inner child in yeah, regards to, in just regards head to the park. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. go to the park and, and climb yeah, trees. I mean, it looks stupid. You know, it's a grown man climbing a tree, um, like John Muir, if you know him, um, <laughs> uh, but, it's awesome. um, in regards to the other tools and, mm-hmm. and techniques and stuff, um, breathing, breath mm-hmm. work, there's so many things, uh, so many different types of breath work and the beautiful thing is it's, this stuff has been around for thousands of years. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that was mind blowing to me. And part of what I feel is, is my hopefully contribution, hopefully it's of service to the, to the field is reengaging the heart space, which I believe is the connector between the mind and the body. And so we learn to live in our minds. Yeah. And that, that's not ever a place we're meant to live. So this is silly, but I imagine myself like a, a lighthouse. And I live down, you know, when you live in a lighthouse, you live down in the bottom, but every day you climb that tower and make sure everything's working. So that's how I look at my mind is I'm going to climb up and I'm going to work and then I'm going to come back down. Mm. Uh, So I think that's important. What I love about the breath work and the yoga and all this kind of stuff, just because it's been around for so long, that's really comforting to me. Yeah. That this is natural stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is what I love about onsite being uh, so holistic. Um, and inclusive of so many different modalities is because there are many different ways you can kind of play with that space for yourself, but it's going to take intention mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to take curiosity. And yeah, if your heart's racing, if you're having pressure in your chest or your head, if you're nauseous, if you're having trouble sleeping, mm-hmm. um, these things are all body alarms that are basically your deeper self, your intuitive self saying, hey, which I believe is uh, connected to the body yeah. is saying, Hey, um, listen, I need you to listen to me. And it's yeah. a different language. Something's not working. Yeah. It's a different language. So what I love about going back into childhood development, uh, the first language that humans have is the body. Mm-hmm. It's an intuitive experience. Uh, I read recently that the right brain, which is the realm of intuition and abstraction and things like this, uh, that's the part of the brain that's online when babies are born. Mm. And it's only 
you know, a year or two later when the left brain develops and then they start talking and stuff. And now all those left brain things are coming in. So the original mindset, the original experience that we've all had in life was um, a body, an intuitive body experience. And that's actually a language that we mm-hmm. connected with our uh, mothers or caregivers about. And so babies then use their body to channel their emotions and the emotions actually become uh, messengers, essentially. A mm. uh, baby cries out when they need something. Now, yeah. the baby's not consciously aware of any of this is happening, Mm-mm. but the body knows. And so, the uh, you know, baby cries out when they're hungry. They reach out and, like, squeal and giggle when they want to be played with. Um, they, they'll, they'll wail if they need their diaper changed and that kind of stuff. And yeah. so emotions are actually an incredible way. I've learned uh, it's, one of, it's one of our first languages. Yeah. And so that, that's what I love about listening to the various body alarms, paying attention to emotions, not dwelling in them. Uh, mm-hmm. but paying attention to them so that we can get what we need. So every mm-hmm. time we're feeling a particular emotion, and I don't mean mood, I mean emotion. Moods What's are, the difference between those two? I would say the difference would be the mood. Mood is like the weather. Some days it's sunny, some days it's rainy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think emotions are communication. And so attitude trumps mood, but emotion must be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. And so attitude is a function of the mind that we learn later in life. This is why children have tantrums and they have trouble regulating their emotions. You need an attitude adjustment. Isn't that what we heard when we were little? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. takes a while to learn how That's to right. adjust your attitude. That's right. Yeah. So I think I've totally uh, like tangentially gone off the rails there. But going back so to your question about the different tools for people that are dealing with loneliness and body alarms mm-hmm. and kind of talking about this idea of following the conscience, yeah. um, which is affecting the body. Uh, I think that's a really good place to start. And the other part of that too, is we don't, we are never wounded alone and uh, pulling this from onsite. Y'all have heard this. Yeah. We're, we're never wounded alone, not in the mm-hmm. psychological or emotional space ever. Mm-hmm. Another human being is in the room yeah. when that happens. So we may fall out of a tree and break our arm. That's not a psychological wound. But maybe if we get shamed for it or if we don't get nurtured afterwards, maybe it becomes one. Yeah. And so I, I just think that's interesting that we don't, we're never wounded alone and therefore we don't heal alone. And so if you're going to go through this deconstruction, uh, don't do it on your own. Mm. You know, make sure that you have a ride or die buddy or, or a swim buddy to go with you. Yeah. And then, of course, there's breadcrumbs that have been dropped along the way for thousands of years. So, you know, go out and read books. Yeah, go... You know, instead of kind of jet skiing, like skimming across the surface on, on social media, like go out and get a book <laughs> that intrigues you, that kind of jumps off the shelf at you. Yeah. What is that again? Books? We read books, right? Yeah, yeah. I think as I was hearing you say kind of your whole journey of this, I love that you found your way back to yourself, not even just in, okay, this is who I am, but like the things that brought you joy as a child, you that maybe you were doing them from an ungrounded place you've then gone full circle to come back to like, hey, I am inquisitive. I am curious, Mm -hmm. you know, from the very first of your mom saying you're impish. Like, I love that, of that whimsical, like, I want to know more about the world. I want to, want to drink it all in. And so I think it just gives me permission in listening to you of like, we know. And if I, because sometimes I don't trust myself, but knowing like, oh, we can come full circle and come back to the things that are really beautiful about us, even if they have pieces in our story and we can find redemption in that. That's just what I'm hearing you say today. There's so much redemption in your story and hearing you say that. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And as we kind of land the plane here, you've shared a little bit of some of the practices that have brought you back to that, but what is one practice that you do? 
uh, to stay centered and to live centered into who you are. Yeah. One thing for me that I do is I wake up early in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was up today at 3.30. So very early. I was imagining like five. Yeah. No, normally it's four or five. Okay. Today it was a wow. little bit different. Uh, actually, there's a, well, this is one of the things. So yeah. every uh, every Friday I meet with a group of guys at four in the morning. And wow. it's a group it's about, it's it's a group of dreamers. Mm. Uh, and we're, we're meeting together to explore that realm together. And we actually started a podcast with that. It's called 0400. And it's called the 0400 Podcast. It's on Spotify and everything, where we kind of explore some of this stuff out loud. It's cool. Um, if anyone wants to check it out. But that's one thing that I do. And that's something that I don't recommend for other people. It's mm-hmm. just something that works for me. So I'll spend a, I'll spend a nice, slow morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and some days I'm, I'm breeding. Some days I'm exercising. Some days I'm honestly just sipping a coffee and staring at the wall. Yeah. Uh, but it, that for me is a very grounding time, mm-hmm. um, and which I'll spend in prayer and meditation. I'll be reading some. Uh, I do a lot of journaling that really helps me organize my mind. Yeah. That's kind of when I go up in the lighthouses in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so also I'm a big fan of the Wim Hof breathing and cold exposure technique. Uh, so if we haven't heard that. about this, <gasps> yeah, it's very, I very popular the now. Goop or listen to the Goop podcast with them. Yeah. Yeah, so something about that method. I've tried so many breathing methods over the years. So what is it? So it's called so Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. He's I believe he's Norwegian or something. He's Dutch. He's Dutch. Um, but he he has a really interesting story. He uh, he had a wife. I, I may be butchering this. I'm paraphrasing, but I believe he had a wife who uh, struggled with uh, schizophrenia, and mm-hmm. they had some children. And uh, unfortunately, the 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 illness uh, took um, took her. Mm. She ended up um, not not making it. Um, and so here he was, you know, holding these children, not really sure what to do and dealing with all of that. Um, and just the way that his mind works and kind of compared to the geography of where he lived at the time, uh, which is very cold, uh, he would just in his stupor and in his grief, he would just take long walks in the park near his house and it was freezing outside. Uh, and then one day he was compelled to jump in one of the ponds. Uh, and he did, and it was like, he had to break through the ice to get in there and crazy, right? I mean, insane. You're going to get hypothermia. What are you doing? And so he just, he was just desperate and he just felt intuitively drawn to like, I'm just going to jump in the water. And so he jumped in the water and obviously it was freezing. And Mm so it, (gasps) what a way to get into your body right away, right? (laughs) Exactly. So he starts breathing really, really heavily. And then Mm -hmm. that breathing heavy made him be able to tolerate the cold. And so that was very curious. And so he just started tweaking and exploring with it. And he developed this breathing technique that's paired with cold exposure. So either cold showers or ice baths or something. Okay. Uh, and essentially, uh, he's now being studied by scientists and all kinds of things because he's, he's setting people free. Uh, by teaching him this technique, people are healing biologically mm-hmm. with diseases and autoimmune conditions and all kinds of things. People are being uh, redeemed out of depression and addiction and just by uh, breathing this way and exposing themselves to cold. So I really, really so like that technique. you do this technique. in a cold shower? Uh-huh. Interesting. I don't do it every day, to be honest. I, I wish I could say that I did, um, but some days I don't. But, but yeah, there's something about it. It's very intense mm-hmm. and... There's just something about that technique. I have not found any other technique that's grounded me more. Oh, that's it's really like cool. I'll go into the technique like this, and I'm just kind of wiggling my fingers, I guess, how we're yeah. on the podcast, and, and I will leave the technique totally grounded. Even keel and grounded. Yeah, and I don't know why that I don't know why it works, but they're they're looking into it. Okay, great. So yeah. music as well. Music, 
Will you state the name again so people can go and look it up? Oh, the, the podcast. The the, oh, yes. The podcast about the technique of the breathing technique. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the podcast is called The 0400 Podcast. Uh, and uh, the technique is called uh, Wim Hof Method. W-I-M-H-O-F. Uh, there's an app that's, I believe it's free. Uh, that has, you know, you can get right into it. It get teaches right you. It. Yeah. There you go. All right. So y'all, you have to go and do your own research. That's what I'm taking away from my time with Brent today too. Get, get crazy. So get much crazy. to learn. Get curious. Yeah. Get in yeah. there. Just start messing around with stuff, you know? Thank you so much. This yeah. has been such a good Love conversation. talking to yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks you guys. Thanks for having me. And it went really fast. So. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.